Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Luke, which can be found on page 74 in your pew Bibles if you care to follow along. I'll begin reading at the 13th verse. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to the crowd, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for, all I, for I have no place to store my crops? And he, then he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build the larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid upon for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, John. Would you pray with me, please? The words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts and minds be captured now by your Holy Spirit. Allow us to experience both inclusion and transformation as we come before you in this meal. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was probably 27 or 28. I'd been in ministry for three or four years. And she came to me and she asked me, Pastor, would you come to the house on Tuesday? I had just walked with her and a number of her family members through the passing of her father. I had celebrated his life at his funeral service. And that had been a couple of months ago, but now she asked me to come to the house to meet with the family because while there was disagreement about the inheritance, who was going to get what, maybe not even so much that night about money, but about which things. I remember sitting in the room, and of course I knew her better because she was a member of my church. The rest of the family I'd gotten to know in that pastor relationship during the passing of their father. But the reality was it wasn't a place of equal footing, equal authority, and it was a place where the room was filled with tension. Maybe that's why Jesus didn't answer the question. He was smarter than me. He stayed out of that room. But he put us in another room, maybe just as uncomfortable. The request seems to me to make some sense. If you think about first century, if, if somebody is your master, your teacher, your rabbi, they were your source of authority, and so it would not have been uncommon to ask that person for virtually all forms of direction and, and the guidance. And so 
teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance equally, it, it, it makes sense. It, it seems to be not an unusual question. But Jesus doesn't answer it, at least not directly. Instead, he begins to talk about the fact that you need to not be greedy, though I'm not sure it's simply wanting my portion of the inheritance is being greedy, it's just being fair. I want what's mine. But he talks about it for a couple of sentences around the fact that we're not supposed to, we're supposed to take care, uh, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So maybe he was speaking into the soul of this individual. Maybe he knew that the real issue wasn't about equality and justice, it was about want, desire, greed. I don't know, I'm reading into that. I wasn't there, I can't know for sure. But what I can know for sure is that he goes to illustrate his point by telling us a story, which is a typical rabbinical style. Jesus loved to tell stories, stories that continue to trap us generations later. So he tells a story of what? Of this rich man, this foolish rich man. And we have come throughout the decades to think this is a story about greed and wealth. How did you feel when you first heard it? You know, I think it's one of those passages that pricks your conscience one way or the other. Either first I immediately jump to defense saying, oh, wait a minute, I expect to put in at least 40 years of ministry. I expect to, to maybe retire 10 years from now, maybe 15 years from now, and, and during that time, I expect to put something in the pension plan. And, and yes, quite frankly, I am expecting a little inheritance. I want mom and dad to do whatever they want. But at the end of the day, you know, something's going to come my way. And maybe I can retire. And, you know, I mean, I have hopes and dreams. Do you? Right? Anybody else got a pension plan? <laughs> or want one? Okay. I mean, we, we, I, what's wrong with that? And so we hear this passage, and it makes us feel uncomfortable because it seems so great against something which for us seems well, not only natural and right, but necessary. And the problem, of course, is, is that we knee-jerk to this story and don't really hear it because we don't want to hear it. Because either we're on, those, on that side where we have something or hope to have something, quite frankly, we don't want to be made to feel guilty about it. Or we don't have anything and we don't think we're going to have anything. We take the side, you know, Jesus or slapping the ones who have stuff. The reality is Jesus isn't talking about either at this place and moment. He tells a story about a guy who, well, you heard the story. He wants to build more barns and raise and have more crops, more stuff. You know about more stuff, right? You got enough stuff? You got too much stuff? Anybody got storage sheds for their stuff? Anybody wish they could have a storage shed for their stuff? Anybody wish they could get their spouse to get rid of their stuff? You understand. See. Here, all he wants to do is have a little storage shed, more barns, for the crops, so he can have more crops. So then what? He can 
rest. He can party. He can, he can have the retirement we all want. Let's be honest. And we think Jesus is saying there's something wrong with that. Well, here's what caught my attention. Let's be clear. Jesus warns us about wealth throughout the scriptures. Why? Because it's so darn seductive. But it's not the wealth that's at issue here. It's about the perspective. I find it interesting. I think this is true. I think if I were rich, I'd have a lot of friends. Right? Or I'd have a lot of people who want to be my friends. I'd have folks who want to talk to me all the time. I'd probably hire people to talk to me all the time and say the kinds of things that I want to talk about. But in this whole story, when he begins talking about the parable of this rich fool, his foolishness is not about his economic situation. It's about the fact he only talks to himself. Look at the scripture. Who's in dialogue with this rich man? No one. He doesn't say, well, the wife and I would like to... He doesn't say, well, I hope maybe the kids and I... He doesn't say, well, in the context of my community, everything is a personal pronoun. My barns, my crops, my retirement, my ease, my wealth. Yeah, he's a fool. He somehow thinks if he has enough stuff, it'll help him forget about the fact he doesn't have anybody in his life that he's connected to, that he's invested in, that his life being and possessions would impact. Yeah, he's a fool. He is. St. Augustine said once that God gave us people to love and things to use. And sin happens when we confuse the two. When we love our things and use people. The consideration here is the fact that in this story, Jesus is warning those listeners and us here to understand it is never as simple as you're good if you're poor and you're bad if you're rich. It's never a simple thing to say, well, it's just because. It's always about this. It's about where are you with Christ and with others in the context of your life in every conversation, including issues of finance. John Wesley, our spiritual forefather, said it this way. He said, in terms, of, in terms of what we have, he encouraged us, earn all you can. Now, he preached a whole sermon contextualizing that, that even as we earn it, it has to be just, has to follow a holy principled way of living. So earn all you can, then save all you can, and then, what was the last one, Methodist? Give all you can. And John Wesley, to his shock and amazement in his life, discovered he was becoming sort of rich. He didn't tend to, but he was writing all these tracts and these books, and people were paying a penny or two for them. And he got to be about just past middle age and realized he was starting to accumulate some wealth. 
His concern was not that he was going to collect the wealth. His concern was that the wealth would begin to take charge of him. So he followed his life's principle. He earned all he could. He saved all he could. By the time he died, he had nothing because he'd made sure he'd given it to others. And the understanding of that equation has nothing to do with economics. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your attitude. It has to do with how you're living your life, what you are invested in. Because we come to realize at the end of the day, what we are invested in, if all of it is, is wealth and possessions, it's a very terminal investment. But if we invest in the things of God, it's eternal. I don't even just mean I get to have the nicer retirement home in heaven, which is sometimes how it's preached. But I get to be invested in others who will go on beyond me and in a story that has eternal, lasting, transformational power the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you begin to get to the place where regardless of your bank account or the lack of one, that your spirit begins to be in that place? Because greed is not an issue of abundance or affluence, although it is harder to avoid the more you have. Even poor people can be greedy. Luther talked about monks who had given up all their worldly possessions to follow Jesus and then would fight in the monastery over a particular book. <laughs> Greed is a spiritual condition. Well, how you begin to change, I believe, subtly, is you begin to get close to Christ, which is, make a connection, why this entire service is wrapped in the sacrament of Holy Communion. See, we oftentimes invite you at the end of the service, after we've done everything, Oh, now, come forward and take the sacrament of Holy Communion. And we tell you that it will change your life, and we tell you that it will change the context of this community. But what I've come to understand, it's not simply about stopping off and taking communion. It's about entering into communion. It's about wrapping everything I am and what I believe and what I do in the sacrament of Holy Communion. It is beginning to recognize that all that we do and all that we share comes to this table, and all are welcome at this table. Over and over the last four or five years in particular, we've heard continually from folks, the thing I really love, Pastor Rick, is when we have communion, you say everybody can come forward, whether they're a member of the church or not. And that's true. But the implication beyond that is this. The sacrament of Holy Communion says that we are invested to be invested in all people. And this is a meal for all people. Not only those who will all come forward in a few minutes, but all around us who have no opportunity or understanding yet they should. The sacrament calls for this church to be a place of open and passionate diversity. And it's going to mean that we're going to have to go outside the walls because, quite frankly, people of great diversity aren't going to come into this place because it's, well, look around you. It doesn't look very diverse ethnically. Theologically, sexual orientation, all the things that divide us from each other in the culture happen in worship too, unless the communion guides us and says, we will not only be open to all people who get through the door, we will be the people dispersed out into the world 
to go to all people. Mary Gladstone Highland sitting over here on my right hand side. Mary, just, just stand up and say hi. Just, you don't even have to applaud her. Just, I want you to see who she is. Stand up, Mary. Some folks haven't met you yet. Mary's, Mary's the recent, most recent addition to our staff. She is going, she, she, well, what is, who is she? You see, the reason I can't answer that is because she's in transition. We hired her to come on our staff to direct our missional work and to really help us have impact in the communities around us. But she's already transitioning because this week, she and I and a few others have been hosting Kathleen Masters from the General Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church out of New York. She flew in Tuesday, she left Friday. She was here on a site visit to see if Clarkson United Methodist Church was gonna become the 37th church and community worker site in the country, 37th in the nation. Now, the reason that matters is this, because most church and community worker sites are in places of, well, economic disadvantage, right? The majority of them are in, for example, West Virginia and the Appalachians, serving places of great poverty and assigned to places of great poverty. And so when we put in the application and said, we want a CCW to come to Clarkston, the first reaction I keep getting is, really? And so Kathleen comes out this week to see why we would want a CCW worker, church and community worker. The reason? Well, it's pretty fast to understand. So a lot of this week, it's been a site visit. So where are we taking her? Well, we take her to the places where this church goes. You took her through Pontiac. More Pontiac than you thought you were going to go through, I guess, but you found your way out. I took her up to Flint, took her down Pasadena Avenue where my grandparents used to live, whose house I can't find anymore because it's torn down, burned out, and abandoned. And we took her around Clarkston. We took her around Clarkston and showed her places of poverty, both displayed and hidden. And she left going, you guys need a CCW. And we said yes. So I hope by the end of this month, 1st of September, we will be the 37th church and community worker site in the country. Mary will be our leader. She'll be an official employee of the General Board of Global Ministries, guiding mission work to connect us with the poor and disadvantaged and ethnically diverse and economically diverse communities around us so that we can be saved. You hear me? So we can be saved. So we can be transformed and changed as we walk alongside others whose Christ is transforming and changing as well. Because I think that's what the gospel calls us to do. That's where we're going. Quite frankly, it's where we already are. Because Jesus said, you're all a bunch of fools. If you're not investing in things of the kingdom, but if you're investing in things of the kingdom, well, there's a party to be had and a feast to come to and a table to share. Today, all of you are welcome to come eat at it. And that's the good news for today.